Welcome to the Hotspot. I'm your host, Armandez Fuliarjamandi. Well, it is almost time. Light Hotspot's activation day is happening on May 11th. It's going to be one of the most consequential updates to the Helium network ever, and we are all counting down the days until the switch flips. Today's guest is the perfect person to help us understand the Light Hotspot's activation. Coco Tang is Director of Product at Nova Labs, and she has overseen many of the projects that have happened within the Helium community and ecosystem in the past few years. Coco's explanation of Light Hotspots is excellent, and she was able to help me clear up my knowledge gaps about how Light Hotspots are tested with the manufacturer community and how validators will be affected. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a bonus preview of the new Helium Wallet app. Coco gives an overview of his features, and we talk a little bit about the new security implications of this app. I want to thank Coco so much for taking the time to do this podcast. Here is our interview. I hope you enjoy. Coco, welcome to the show. Hey, Armin, how's it going? <clears throat> it's going great. A sunny, beautiful morning here in California. It is so great to finally have you on here. I think you're probably one of the most recognizable names in the Discord. She's Cokes <laughs> for people who don't know. And you're also a true Helium OG. From my understanding, you've been with the company for six years. That's right. Yeah. Started at Helium back in was it 2016? Yeah, back when we were doing kind of hardcore IoT stuff, trying to figure out how to get sensors to communicate over 802.15.4. Wow. So you, yeah, you've seen pretty much every era of Helium's development. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved and what are some of the phases you saw that led us to where we are today? Absolutely. So my my undergrad was in kind of biotechnology, and when Helium first started and when I was approached by Helium, it was very much into the hospital and restaurant sensing space. So understanding when medications have reached above or below a critical temperature, air pressure within hospitals, that's what really interested me, and I wanted to be challenged by a hardware company. Up until then, I was purely working on software on mobile, very user-facing, and also had some experience at BlackBerry, understanding how to make phones, how to communicate with others in, in terms of making apps, localization, bits like that. And so the journey from Helium and in, in when I first joined, when it was doing like the vertical sensing space, after that we moved to create a platform for developers to connect their sensors to gateways. And we were doing that for a little bit. And it was tough to get traction because we need to create coverage first before sensors can start communicating their data to the internet. And so, and I think the New York Times article references this as a whiskey fueled all hands, not quite how I remembered it, but an engineer did say, what if we incentivized coverage with blood blockchain? And that's where the whole idea stemmed from. And so my part in the creation of this network really was focused on how do we get not just people interested in crypto, but really your everyday mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, friends, nieces, nephews, daughters, and sons, how do we get them interested enough to want to put one of these in their homes to create this coverage, ubiquitous coverage? 
And not only that, how do we make it so easy for them that we completely obfuscate the most difficult part of crypto? If you look at how Ethereum mining came about, Bitcoin mining came about, it was very difficult to set up a miner in your house. You needed to know a lot about networking. You needed to know a lot about hardware, computer systems, all the pertinent things in order to set it up so that you can even start mining. And even then you were earning very little rewards, very little crypto in exchange for it. And so our goal really was to make it as simple as onboarding a smart speaker, like a Sonos in your house. And that's what we were striving for. And I think we did achieve that. Definitely, especially with the original Helium hotspot, which is still my favorite experience out of all the manufacturers. Sorry to all the manufacturers I purchased from. Yeah, you guys have done a lot. And yeah, so many things you just said uh, resonate with me. I think you and I come from very similar backgrounds in terms of experience. I also started out in the mobile space, like user experience focused, product focused, um, just very excited to build things that people find intuitive and useful. And you guys have succeeded to a great degree in the goals that you just stated, right? There's over 700,000. We're about to cross 750,000 hotspots, which blows my mind every time. And the user experience that's been created is such that people from all walks of life and all ages can participate. And that's exactly what I've seen firsthand. Kudos to the team for pulling that off. Thank you. How do you view getting from that initial point of creating a great user experience to now, which is we've got this crazy bustling network that is grown beyond anyone's wildest dreams and now has to be optimized (laughs) to get to the next level of scalability. How did we get here? And then what is coming next to fix the issues that the network currently is experiencing? Yeah, great question. So right now, the Helium network is the largest decentralized peer-to-peer network in the world with, like you said, over 700,000 nodes or hotspots, over a million blocks on our blockchain and 3,000 plus validators, a bunch of routers, all storing a copy of this blockchain, which is over a million blocks big. And each block has, what, 800 to 1,000 transactions. And we get a lot of throughput on our blockchain. And when we first built the hotspot, it was built on a Raspberry Pi 3, which was now, we felt it was adequate at the time. We never imagined it to be as successful as it is with as many hotspots on the network, as many blocks that it has. And so it became pretty obvious maybe like a year ago that these hotspots and the little computers that are inside all of them needed either a major upgrade or a major reduction in what it was trying to store and compute. And taking a step back, Each hotspot has the job of verifying all transactions that they store because effectively hotspots act as a full node on the blockchain, which means they store every single block on the blockchain. So if you look at your hotspot in your house right now, there's over a million blocks of information stored on it. And that can take quite a toll on the hotspot and it manifests itself as SD card problems as the hotspot being unable to sync because it's just run out of memory or it's just run out of power to be able to compute all the new blocks that are coming in and unable to validate all of that. And so with the inability to sync, it further manifests itself as unable to participate in proof of coverage, which is 
not what we want because the whole point of this network is to provide coverage for devices. In order to do provide coverage, you really have to be synced to the blockchain. And we've seen that because they're unable to do so, it, it, it no longer is providing the service that the network wants it to provide. And so a year ago, we thought about how can we make this better? How can we learn from our growing pains and make this a more sustainable future for us and future-proof the growth from three quarters of a million hotspots to 5 million, 10 million, 20, 30, et cetera. Like, how do we get from this little world that we have of coverage into full ubiquitous global coverage? And ever since the introduction of validators who are also full nodes that has taken over the consensus group function of hotspots, we thought, okay, if validators are storing a full node themselves, why don't we ask them to take on the work of storing the entire blockchain for hotspots. And that's where the idea of light hotspots came from, right? These hotspots can give up the blockchain so that they don't have to sync anymore. So they don't have to process all of that extra data. And what if these hotspots just asked a validator, hey, what block are we at and what should I do with this transaction? What if we did that? So that's kind of where the idea of hotspots came from. It makes a lot of sense. So you're basically taking this very low-powered hardware, which has been distributed in these 700,000 plus nodes on this network, and sort of distilling it down to its true purpose, making it only run the software that it strictly needs to run in order to communicate with the LoRa radio, send and receive packets, and understand when it's challenged, and understand when it needs to beacon, and understand where to send its witnesses and not necessarily play the role of being a full blockchain node, which the hardware in the, the hotspot nodes is just really not made to do. Not to mention that the internet connections that these hotspots are often behind, they may be a 3G portable modem or something like that, that is just not cut out for all this back and forth, peer-to-peer -peer syncing activity that being a node in the blockchain entails. That's exactly right. Great. So I'd love if you could help us distill the term light hotspots. I think that there's a little bit of confusion. Does the term mean software? Does it mean hardware? Am I going to need to buy new hardware? So what exactly does the term light hotspot mean? And what does it mean for existing hotspot owners? Great question. So light hotspots basically does not store the full copy of the blockchain. That's what makes it light. It's not full because it doesn't have a full node and therefore it's light. Um, and this light hotspot is going to be a over-the-air software update that is going to be released by your hotspot manufacturer. So as a hotspot owner, if you have a hotspot or if you have one coming that you may have pre-ordered a while ago, all you have to do is just leave it plugged into the internet. And the hotspot will be smart enough to download the update, install it, and then when we activate uh, light hotspots in May, it'll know exactly what to do. It'll know to stop syncing the blockchain. It'll know to find a validator for block information. And it'll know what to do with the challenges that are created by validators. And that's a little surface level of what we expect to happen. Of course, there's quite a bit more that goes on behind the scenes and on, on the network side. So in addition to 
these light hotspots not storing a full copy of the blockchain. As a result, a lot of other common issues are effectively gone. So you had talked about some networking concerns as a full hotspot when you do the back-to-back peer-to-peer communication. I'm sure the community has heard of the term relayed and how do I get myself out of a relay? Because being relayed means you effectively earn less mining rewards because you're now connecting to a hotspot that's connecting to another hotspot. And this sort of broken telephone system means that by the time you tell the challenger, whoever you're trying to talk to, about what you saw, you've timed out. And so with light hotspots, because it no longer needs to sync the chain, it's just directly doing um, a one-to-one communication to a validator, you don't need to worry about that anymore. You don't have to go through this network of hotspots in order to make your message um, come through. You just have to talk to one person, and that person is your validator. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, there there are various issues that are solved here for the end user. And it seems, as you're saying, it's just going to be an over-the-air software update, just like any other software update they've ever received. They don't have to do anything. When the light hotspot software is available, it will sort of magically appear on their hotspots. And <laughs> the only noticeable change that they will see is their hotspot might act more consistently Uh, And maybe when they touch the box, it might be a little cooler. (laughs) Another benefit is that for kind of the more original hotspots that have been around since the beginning of the network, because they're based on the Pi 3, they're they're probably, I wouldn't say dead, but like in a coma. So with this new light hotspot software update, it's likely that these comatose hotspots will come back to life. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I've seen that firsthand as well. As you said, they're running on older hardware. They only have one gigabyte of memory and they can struggle to to stay in sync. And I watch the numbers somewhat regularly to see how many total hotspots there are and how many are online. On any given day, you see somewhere between 70 and 85% of the total hotspots actually online. So one thing I'm really wondering with this update is how many hotspots are we going to see rise from the dead and uh, come back online and how those owners feel? Will they be excited? Will they even realize? That this hotspot that they've had plugged in their window for six months is back to life. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping they they see it come back. It'll be a a joyous moment for them, I'm sure. So what can owners expect to see other than their hotspot coming back to life? What does this mean for the hotspot earnings? Great question. So when these hotspots install the light hotspot update and we activate it in May, what they can expect is, as you mentioned earlier, more consistent mining. Validators create challenges now in this new world. To create a challenge, you need to have the full blockchain in order to construct that challenge. And because hotspots don't have the full node anymore, we've had to move that responsibility to validators. So that very small percentage of mining rewards from creating challenges goes to validators. Now, that's not to say that the hotspots are now earning much less. Not entirely true. Hotspots can now continue to mine by beaconing. So it'll receive these challenges from validators. And when they beacon, it'll be more reliable because they can send the receipts right back to the validator. It doesn't have to go through the relay of the network. So that will increase your earnings. Hotspots that witness that beacon also can send the receipts directly back to the validator. And that 
will be more consistent and more reliable, and you would probably see an earnings change in the positive direction. So lastly, the data rewards. So the way we have our rewards emissions is that the balance of anything, everything that's not POC, that's not consensus, that's not a security reward, is for data transfer. Now the balance of that, which is up to 33%, will now go strictly to the hotspots pool of beaconing and witnessing. So validators that create challenges don't have access to that pool, right? In the past, hotspots, when they were challenging, it's possible that they would get additional increase in rewards because they were pulling from that same data rewards pie. But now it's just the hotspots and it continues to be the hotspots because the hotspots are doing the work of data transfer. And so the balance of that will continue to go to hotspots. Yeah, that makes sense. And so since the hotspots will no longer have this trickle of challenge constructing rewards, one potential downside is if you are starting in a new area, you're going to need at least two hotspots beaconing and witnessing each other to see any rewards at all. Or have a device that comes through your neighborhood to do data transfer. Even better. That's that would be that would be the ideal case. The way I like to look at this change it, as well is that it is bringing earnings more truly in line with what amount of effort people have put into their setups. So exactly. I know that there there are a few people out there, probably many people out there, who have put substantial effort into their setups. They've got a great antenna. It's mounted outside, maybe on a three hundred foot tower or something crazy, but. Um, they just got unlucky. Maybe they have an older hotspot or their internet connection is not as strong. They can't stay synced. And so they don't get the rewards. Or if they're relayed, every witness receipt that they try to send, it's unable to make it back to the originator. And so they never get credited for all the work that they do. And now because we've removed all of that complexity from a hotspot's job, it's now a lot easier for them to send that information back to the validator and get credit for that. And, and what does this mean for people who have more off-grid type setups? What kind of reduction in data usage are they going to see from this change? Yeah, it should be a substantial decrease. It's really hard to pinpoint the actual number because not only does the blockchain itself get removed from the hotspot, no longer has to download new blocks or process new blocks. So that should take away a huge chunk of the network usage requirements, data usage requirements from a hotspot and an off-grid. But it really depends on what the manufacturer of that hotspot does, because unless it comes from the Nova team, if you own an original Helium hotspot, it's really up to the manufacturer how big or small their hotspot firmware image is going to be. And so can't really put a number on it, but it should be significantly less data usage for a hotspot. And speaking of software updates, is it also true that because the hotspots no longer follow the blockchain, they may not necessarily have to have as many software updates because they won't have to have a software update every time something on the blockchain side changes. They might just need to have a software update when the way that they communicate with validators changes or maybe the manufacturer has figured out a more efficient way or, or some sort of upgrade or bug fix related to the hotspots internal LoRaWAN radio. Does, does that sound right to you? I think that's probably a good way to say it. If anything with proof of coverage is updated, it will obviously require a firmware update to 
all the parties involved, which would be hotspots and and validators. So that would be a change that would affect both parties. But if there's anything specific to consensus or challenge creation or anything like that, it would just be a validator release. And that's how we can start to understand the frequency of software updates between the two types of entities that are involved in proof of coverage. That's great. So that means that there will no longer be this sort of coupled relationship between the hotspots and the validators where in order to release a new blockchain software update, all hotspot manufacturers and all validators will need to be aligned in order to make that happen. That's right. So any changes to blockchain core, because a hotspot's not a full node, doesn't necessarily need an update. So it'll just be those who store a full node. So router, core, validators, etc. I'm sure that will make your life so much easier because anyone who follows the regular software release cadence of Helium software updates will know that there's generally like two to three weeks before any update is activated so that all the manufacturers can adopt the update and test it on their hotspots and get it out to their fleet. So this seems like it will be a huge operational boon to the team that is working on the blockchain core and the validator and even the hotspot software. Yeah, the makers will certainly appreciate that. So now that we're going to have this light hotspot software, and just to go back to the off-grid point, it's important for off-grid people, as Coco said, to choose your manufacturer carefully, do a little bit of research into making sure that your manufacturer is creating software updates that aren't going to be super bloated and kill your data plan. Now the manufacturers have this opportunity to create a type of hotspot that has a much smaller software image on it, we're talking like orders of magnitude smaller, and deploy that as a simpler device, a device that does not have the same hardware requirements. It doesn't need a Raspberry Pi computer in it, which is a actually a part that has really made the supply chain side of Helium hotspots quite difficult, mm-hmm. as it's been very short supply during the pandemic, very hard to get and very expensive. And this has really pushed up the price of hotspots. Now that the hardware requirements are going to be reduced because the hotspot is doing so much less stuff, so much less computation, what does that mean in the short term? And then what does that mean in the long term for the cost of hotspots and the availability of them? Great question. So right now, because of factoring in the supply chain issues, despite our efforts to make hotspot hardware function on lower compute components, it's hard for us to see a drop in hotspot prices in the short term, only because we're constrained by other factors that are obviously outside of our control. That said, over time, we should be able to see new hardware that is made specifically for the light hotspot software. So that would probably mean Instead of a Raspberry Pi 4, it can just be a lower compute little CPU module that is a lot cheaper to manufacture and probably more readily available, which means as a manufacturer, you can kind of reduce your bomb costs so that your MSRP price can also be reduced. It's important to keep in mind that this cheaper, lower cost hotspot is unlikely to happen in the next three months. So that means that if you are currently on a waiting list for a full hotspot, don't cancel your order. We don't expect the supply chain to magically cure itself and start generating and 
manufacturing all these components within a light hotspot that we would need to see that lower hardware come out and be available. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And something I'd love to just shed my own opinion and some light on here is that I've seen people say, oh, if light hotspots are coming, why should I keep my full hotspot order? This is crazy. They're going to be cheaper in the future. And I think to that, I would say, first of all, you're going to get your full hotspot order far before probably months or maybe a year before anyone will get their light hotspot order. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Yeah. So that's going to be a huge advantage to your mining, right? Because the more miners come online, the more that the rewards are diluted. This is just how the system works. So the sooner you get your miner, the better in pretty much any scenario. And secondly, I've seen some people opine that, hey, I paid for this, this really powerful hardware and now you're just making it do almost nothing. And you what know, do you do with all that extra power that it has? It's just wasted. And I would say that's not really a good way to look at it. <laughs> I think in, instead, yeah, yes, you may have something that has more power than it needs, but it will do its job just as well as any other hotspot. There will be no advantage or disadvantage to owning a full hotspot versus owning a light hotspot. And I've also seen people say, what can we do with extra power? Can we do mm -hmm. some sort of other mining? And to that, I would say there isn't really any other type of mining that would be suited to this type of hardware. <laughs> it is actually pretty unique to Helium. I guess maybe you could imagine something creative with storage, file storage, IPFS, something that maybe uses more bandwidth and storage than it does compute. But all of that extra usage of the hotspot hardware could actually make it worse at doing its job as a helium hotspot. We want it to keep doing its primary job as well as it possibly could. The way I view this personally is if the, the hardware cost can be reduced, this just means that the network will be able to grow even more in the future. More people will be able to be included in the people's network as it becomes more affordable. And that is to the benefit of anyone who is, you know, participating in the network, because at the end of the day, the end goal is to make the network as, as huge and ubiquitous as possible and to transmit as much real world data usage through the network as possible. And light hotspots are just basically the next step in hardware and software in order to facilitate those end goals. That's right. Yeah. And I wouldn't say we may never use the extra compute power in a full hotspot for other things. I think the core team has some work up their sleeves to see if we can make use of that extra compute power. Stay tuned. Maybe there is something that we will do with it because it is unused and you're basically running an overspect miner once the hotspots go out. So there might be something we can do with that extra power in the hotspot. Wow, that's exciting to hear. And of course, I'm not going to sit here waiting for it. But at the same time, it's very cool to hear that there's stuff in development. And I, I guess maybe the engineering team, after spending all their time trying to squeeze as much power out of that hardware, is like maybe eager to not waste it now. So that's very cool. <laughs> so now that the light hotspot code is merged into the main blockchain core code base and it is being distributed to the miners, what does this actually mean for when light hotspots are going to become active and all of our issues like SD card problems and relayed and syncing will just go away? Yeah, what does happen? So our code is merged to the mainnet branch and the manufacturers, the makers, will get a tagged image release, which they will then have 
two weeks to send over-the-air updates to their entire fleet of hotspots. And this is by on a manufacturer basis. If on activation day, a hotspots manufacturer does not send the OTA, or if for some reason the hotspot is uh, offline, then the hotspot will just stop because it doesn't know where to get its block information from. It doesn't know anything about validators creating challenges for them. And they'll just sort of sit there. I'd love to understand as well a, a little bit more about what went into testing this release. So from my uh, understanding, most or all of the manufacturers have tested with their own hardware on the Helium testnet and then verified that there could be a scenario where you turn on the light hotspot code uh, and then for some reason have to switch it back to the mm -hmm. old way. Is that how this uh, release was tested? We invited all manufacturers on testnet several months ago. So they've been testing on testnet with their hotspots for quite a while now. And we frequently make firmware releases on testnet so that we can make sure they all have the latest and greatest. And their requirement on testnet is to make sure that their hotspots can receive challenges from validators. Their hotspots can beacon, so send out challenges. And their hotspots can witness a beacon in addition to sending packets, basically what a hotspot is expected to do on mainnet when it's activated. And the additional tests that we did on testnet really was to make sure that when we activate this code, if for some reason it goes wrong, we have a way to back out of it so hotspots can create challenges again. So when we activate, it's validators creating challenges. If everything goes wrong or something goes wrong and unexpected, we can revert and pull that back so that the network remains healthy and functional and just have hotspots creating challenges. So just like we did before. And so this mechanism of activating and reverting and activating again was tested quite a few times on testnet. So we've gone through it. We've made sure that everything continues to work, whether the chain variable is activated or whether it's inactive. And that was the type of that was the type of testing we did. I may not be a blockchain engineer or I may not understand Erlang, but from my understanding, that is definitely the type and amount of testing that I would like to see before a major release like this. So it's uh, it's really great to hear that's exactly how uh, that went down. And it definitely gives me confidence in the release process and the fact that even if you might have to go back for some reason, there is a bug found last minute that can be done as well. So that is great to hear. A couple more little personal technical questions about uh, how light hotspots work here that, that I'll throw at you. So how does a light hotspot know how to find a validator and, and how does it pick which validator it's going to talk to? Is that like a persistent thing that it picks it once and then it keeps talking to that validator or does it switch it up? Like how exactly does that work? Yeah, so there's a pool of available validators that a hotspot can connect to. And the way a hotspot picks is completely randomized. It's a round robin. So what that means is there's a lineup of online validators that have heartbeated recently. So heartbeat is a validator's liveness check and a validator that is not relayed. We don't want a relayed validator because of the same problem that we have for hotspots. So when a hotspot connects to a validator and it's able to have a persistent connection, it'll continue to be connected to the validator until let's say the validator uh, decides to um, switch off because it needs to do a firmware update, at which point the hotspot would just connect to the next one. 
And that logic is built into the Light Hotspot software. So in addition to that data transfer, right, this is the core usage of the network. And from my understanding, the way that full hotspots work is that they need to be fully synced to the blockchain in order to understand all the different aspects of where data needs to be sent. The organization, unique identifiers, the bloom filters, like all those technical details around how to route a packet that I received over the air. And from my understanding with light hotspots, there is a different mechanism now. And since the hotspot no longer needs to sync, it will basically be able to transmit a data packet no matter what. So do you expect to see more data packets coming through the network because of that? Is, is this going to be like an overall positive change in, in terms of data transfer? Yeah, I think the impact of data transfer is only going to be positive from here on out. The, the team is very busy trying to get new partners and new device users on the network. And so we should expect to see um, an increase in data transfer as well. And the way that we have state channels behave in this kind of new era of the Helium network is going to be more optimized so that, you know, state channel closes are less cumbersome. We have what's called state channel diff. So instead of looking at the entire state channel, we just look at what's changed from one to the other. So that type of new logic will further help improve the network and its stability and its ability to transfer device data. So another question I have is validators, right? They are taking on this new role of creating challenges. So what does that mean for the hotspots that are no longer creating challenges? And, and then what does it mean for the, the validators? Which validators are going to create the challenges? So validators will take on the role of creating challenges for hotspots on the network. And the way they target is a little bit different than it is now. They target a, a region of hotspots. And None of the hotspots know it's them being targeted, but they all acknowledge that they saw a, like an intent to challenge. And then finally, the validator will actually issue the challenge. And so how do we decide which validators get to challenge? It's not just the validators and consensus. This is actually the entire validator pool that are online and heartbeat. And so this ensures that all the validators get a I would say an equal chance of challenging hotspots. And that also distributes kind of the work amongst all the validators who are acting as full nodes. So now instead of validators resting and waiting for their turn to be in consensus, they get to now actively participate on the network uh, on a higher frequency. Right. And those validators will receive the very small reward that was given to very the Very small challenger reward. That's right. Yeah. I've seen a lot of chatter around this small challenger reward, which is less than 1% of the total rewards going to the validator. So I won't go too deep into it because it de definitely devolves into a, a bit of an argument. But I think the simple way to put it is before the hotspots were doing the work and now the validators are doing the work. And so that's why they're being uh, compensated in that way. With all the benefits that light hotspots will bring for hotspot hosts, that should greatly overshadow any downside from losing that less than 1%. That's right. And and the data transfer rewards are still going to hotspots because the hotspots are still doing that work. So any extras left over from that for each epoch continues to go to hotspots. Yeah. And long term, like the greatest earnings potential is absolutely with hotspots uh, as the mm -hmm. data transfer uh, ramps up. So other than light hotspots, I hear something else is becoming a little bit lighter. And that is the Helium hotspot app is transitioning over to a much lighter, simpler uh, more intuitive and more fun Helium Wallet app, which 
I've been lucky enough to try in beta and I will say it's very slick. It adds a bunch of features like being able to have multiple wallets in one app and being able to connect a hardware wallet. So where are we uh, in terms of wallet app development and what are you excited about for this wallet app release? Yeah, thanks. So the wallet app is an entirely separate app from the hotspot app. And the reason we did this is we wanted to create something that really is your identity on the Helium network and kind of sets us up for a lot of the the future things that we want to build on top of the Helium network. This wallet app, it's really about managing your tokens and what you can do with it, your HNT, maybe your DC, um, and anything else that we may dream up down the line. So to support that, we really wanted to add multi-account support. I know that was something that a lot of people had been asking for the original app because it was only, um, you can only sign into one account at one time. And if you're a fan of OPSEC, you obviously have multiple accounts, right? And this new wallet app really enables you to keep track of everything and be able to send from all various accounts. So you don't have to sign out and sign back in several times. What's also amazing about this new wallet app is that we've improved the security and it actually has support for a 24 word seed phrase that some folks are familiar with. If they created a command line wallet, you can import that command line wallet that's made up of 24 words into this wallet app and any new accounts will default to 24 words, but that's also backwards compatible. So if you want to import your old wallet using the 12 word method, you're very much welcome to do so. What's also more exciting here on the Wallet app is Ledger support. So if you have a Ledger Nano X, so that's the hardware wallet that has Bluetooth, you can actually pair with it to the Wallet app in order to see your account balance and even sign transactions from it. This is a really big improvement really to the experience of a user with a Ledger hardware wallet, because otherwise you would use the command line in order to interact with it. Not everybody is comfortable doing that. And so by allowing us to pair with it to the phone where there's a nice select UI for you to interact with, it takes the complexities out of operating that wallet. And in addition, I didn't know about this until recently, but apparently you can plug in a Nano S or their new Nano S Plus using a cable to an Android phone. And so you can do that and that'll also behave the exact same way. So you can read the balance off your Ledger Nano S and sign transactions from it. That hardware wallet support is so exciting and I highly recommend anyone who's (laughs) storing anything that they consider a significant amount of HNT to invest in a hardware wallet. It will increase your security drastically. And yeah, this user experience upgrade is wonderful. From just the slickness of the wallet app, like I love little animation when you send HNT to the the hardware wallet support and the multi-account support. It really has a dream checklist of all the things that you would want in a wallet app. And my favorite part is that Helium Vote is now uh, integrated within the Wallet app. So hopefully we'll see much better voting participation. That gets me super excited. Much better uptake on Helium Vote because now you don't have to go from the website to popping open some thing and then going to the app. You can just read everything right within the app, vote right there without leaving anywhere. And that's going to be a huge plus moving forward. And also address book. So address book is a new feature in the wallet app. So you can save your most commonly used addresses and give them a nice nickname. So instead of me just sending it to Armin's address, um, I can just replace it with Armin and and never really have to second guess who I'm sending this to because if it's not Armin, it's probably somebody else. (laughs) 
Yeah, someone hijacked your clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of hijacks, this is a, I'm just going to put out a PSA because I saw a tweet thread yesterday. There is a new type of advanced phishing scam out there where basically someone will creatively figure out a way to reset your iCloud uh, password or, or gain access mm -hmm. to your two-factor authentication by pretending to be Apple. Regardless of whether you have an iPhone, always be aware that anyone contacting you about security, it's probably a scam. If you're not the one reaching out to either your manufacturer or your cloud provider, it's very important that you stay very vigilant. Never give anyone your 12 words or your 24 words. If anyone gets access to that or gets access to your iCloud, they're able to you know, extract the key store and potentially compromise your wallet. And once it's compromised once, you don't get a second chance. There is no support no. line to call. Hardware wallet, highly recommended. Store that seed phrase offline. Never email it to yourself. Never write it in a notepad or sync it anywhere online. Don't put it in your password manager. Never screenshot it. Don't screenshot it. <laughs> Definitely don't, don't whisper it in your friend's ear. <laughs> Whatever type of creative vulnerability you might be able to create for yourself. Just, yeah, store it offline on paper. Keep it in a super safe place. And I'll leave it there. there. There are a lot of different things you could do to safely store your key phrase, but just make sure... If you're going to do anything more creative than keeping a piece of paper or in a vault or in a safe or whatever, that you really do some serious research on what it actually means, because there are some common misconceptions around the, the idea that separating your seed phrase into six words and six words or something would be secure. And it's not. Do your research. It's a bit of a tough topic, a little bit of a learning curve, but this is how you protect yourself in this new world where you can't just call the support line to uh, get your funds back if, if something uh, bad happens. So Yeah, there's no way to also recover your words if you lose it. There's, again, no hotline. Each 12 or 24 word seed phrase corresponds to one wallet address. And if you, you know, happen to enter any one of the words incorrectly, it could get you into um, a functional wallet, but it's not your wallet. So that's the number one way to check if you entered your words right or wrong. And right. actually, a, a great feature request from a mentor in the community was requiring you to enter your 12 words before you sign out. So you don't accidentally sign out without considering that, did you write down your seed phrase? Because if you sign out, you, you may not be able to get back in. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I think that's an amazing, like, essential feature uh, to, to add. I actually did that to myself once. I logged out accidentally and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but fortunately, <laughs> I had the seed phrase available. But yeah, it, these are just little user experience things that we can always make the user experience of Helium better and uh, more foolproof. Ultimately, that is what will continue to make it the uh, project that everyone will be able to be involved in. And so I'm glad that the team at Nova and the community and any developers who may be contributing are thinking of these things and thinking about how to protect users. Like it's really number one, right? If we can't protect our own users, it's going to be very hard to build the network we want to build. Keeping that top of mind is really key. No pun intended. <laughs> and, and Coco, just thank you so much uh, for joining. I think you did an amazing job explaining light hotspots. As for the wallet app, how can people get access to that? Yeah, in our Discord community, discord.gg slash helium, there's a channel called beta-wallet. And in the pinned messages, there's actually instructions for Android users and iOS users to sign up to get early access to the wallet app. If you're not comfortable running beta apps, then production release will be probably sometime next month. Great. Yeah, I, I highly encourage everyone to either, if you're an early adopter, get on that beta or uh, if you're not, <laughs> just 
try it out. A reminder, you don't have to switch over all at once. You can have the old Helium Hotspot app and the Helium Wallet app on your phone at the same time to get used to it before you start doing everything on the Helium Wallet app. So definitely encourage anyone to uh, do that. But the Helium Hotspot app will be deprecated eventually. Do we know a rough estimate of at what point that will no longer be receiving updates? Great question. I think for now, the Hotspot app will be around for quite some time. We're still making sure that all the various makers, I think we've got over 30 now, all have their own application available for their customers. And until all of them have that going in, in a good place where they don't ask you for their seed phrase, we'll have to keep everybody on the app until then. So no end date quite yet, but we're slowly transitioning various hotspot manufacturers off of the hotspot app when there is a good, solid replacement. Well, great. I'm sure the users will appreciate having a, a longer time to migrate and learn something new. We will never leave users high and dry. Amazing note to end on. All right, Coco, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day and looking forward to uh, hopefully doing this again sometime. Good speaking with you, Armin. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for tuning into The Hotspot. If you love our content, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network.